Welcome to another episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Schober, broadcasting from uh, Long Beach, California, over here on the West Coast, and I'm joined by my brother, Scott Schober. Scott, where are you coming from? Hey, how you doing here? Uh, Central New Jersey, East Coast here. Doing well, doing well. Great to join you. Good. Um, yeah, before we get into the uh, news and topics and the business of the show, just want to quickly uh, mention and thank our sponsor, Cyberlytica. Um, this episode, in fact, is sponsored by Cyberlytica. Uh, proactive Cybercrime Intelligence. Uh, and you can learn more about them on their website, www.cyberlytica.com. Um, before we get into the stories, uh, I just wanted to make a quick announcement that this podcast, along with our other podcast, uh, What Keeps You Up at Night, are I think they're I think we're available in every uh, aggregator now, all the major ones at least. We're now in Apple. Google, Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and a few other ones I might be uh, missing here. So SoundCloud, a couple others. Yeah, I've seen it everywhere now, which is great. Yeah, it's great to be on board those platforms. So I hope, I hope our listeners, all three of them, <laughs> I hope, I hope we can get some good five star reviews in and some great feedback coming in the uh, future episodes. So looking forward to that. Um, I guess let's let's open up with uh, the first big story. This is a big story that just hit, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago, um, but I suspect we're going to be hearing more and more about it because it's one of those longer, lingering uh, hacking stories that is going to affect uh, consumers and their computers from you know coming all the way through 2022. Uh, it's the Log4j exploit. Uh, Scott, can you uh, give us a little bit of backstory on that? Because this is a, it's more of a tech techie, geeky breach. And I know you follow some of that stuff more closer than I do. And I'm sure you've been asked to do numerous interviews and write write-ups on, on it. So what, what are we looking at here? Yeah. And I'll, t- I'll try to give a brief overview, maybe at a 10,000 foot level. So just the general audience can, can get it. And probably the, the first question is, well, first of all, what in the world is a log4j? What does it do? Uh, well, it, it really records events and, and it's a, a piece of software if you had to think about it and it's used everywhere. And, and what the important thing that we have to realize is understanding how widespread it's used in, in past breaches We've heard about you know specific things that are targeted. Maybe it's toward payroll systems, and everybody that uses that company's software for payroll, they're affected, and they have to upgrade the patch. In this case, it's so widely used because it's open source software. It's provided by Apache Software Foundation. It affects everybody, just about everybody, or you, you may even be using the software and you don't even realize it, be it in an application, something tied to your website. So that's why when there's vulnerabilities like this that are exploited, that, that's really a concern there. And, and they gave a, a nice example in the, the one article, and we'll reference it there in our, um, on the, uh, in the podcast there. A common example of Log4j at work is when you type or click a bad web link and you get that error message, that 404 error message. I think everybody has seen that. So there's a web server running the domain in the web link you tried to get the, get this too and says, hey, there's no such web page or something like that. And it records an event log 
for the server system administration using that log4j. So a lot of this stuff is what's going on in the background. But what, what hackers have done is they found a way to exploit this. And the, the part that's the scary, it's kind of a zero day where there's no known patches. They discovered this vulnerability. The word gets out there and there was an entire week plus that went by before they figured out, hey, we got to patch this open source uh, uh, code quickly. So then there's a patch that's out there. Now it has to alert the world, which is now happening. Everybody's saying, hey, check to see if you have this vulnerability. And if you do, you got to patch it. And it's not something where you just simply click on a thing and say, okay, update my, my security patches. It's done. It takes more work and effort because again, you got to dig in because the, the, the number of things that are affected, everything from my, like, like my son loves the game, Minecraft, Minecraft was affected cloud services like uh, iCloud for Apple, Amazon web services, um, programs that are being run, different types of security tools. So again, it's so widespread where people are using part of this code that just to patch it is going to be a, a, a huge undertaking. And my estimate is this is going to probably go on for at least a year before everybody finally gets it patched and updated and figures out where it's being used, what the vulnerability is. So in the end, what does that mean? It's a field day for hackers. They're going to be trying to find unique ways to exploit this. And we're already hearing about um, some different ways they're trying to use ransomware attacks and, and, and mix the code with this 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 log 4J and, and fool people and, and exploit that. So I think we're, we're going to be learning a lot more things in time to come. And already the, the, the fear is, and it's being reported on, North Korea and China and these different hacking groups trying to find different ways to exploit it. And they're actually guys that are out there, cyber criminals that were using old strains of malware and ransomware. And it kind of, they, 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 it ran its course and it's not as effective anymore. So suddenly they stopped and they're looking for other things to do. Now that's kind of like they're coming out of retirement. Imagine that cyber criminals coming out of retirement because they see that this is so lucrative to try to exploit this. And I'll just share one last thought. Um, this is interesting. The, the director of the U.S. Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, which we hear about a lot of times, Jen Easterly, she commented on it recently. She's been interviewed a lot. And um, she mentioned that the Log4 shell, the most serious vulnerability she's seen in her entire career. There's been hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of attempts to exploit the vulnerability. So it shows how potentially effective that, that this could be. And, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about this. It is more of a techie type of thing. So the average person, you're probably going to hear it till your eyes turn blue. But bottom line is it does eventually, it affects all of us and our companies, the software we use, the websites. So um, it makes me wonder how many other things are out there in the wild that we don't even realize that may surface mm -hmm. that can actually affect us. Yeah, it's funny while you were talking, I, my mind immediately goes to, well, what affects me directly now? What do I see in the news? What yeah. do I think about? And there was some eerie parallels to, you know, the COVID uh, variants and the vaccine, because mm -hmm. you're, you're talking about hackers and how uh, the malware dried up and now they, now they can go to a new variant, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, we have a vaccine to fight the virus, but it's so it's such a widespread problem. You kind of have to get everyone on board and that's a big undertaking. It takes a long time to get everyone to trust the government, to get, to go get their vaccines, to go get the, you know, the second shot to get a booster and all these things. It, it takes time. And that's 
going to, that's why it's going to run into, you know, 2022 and possibly beyond for, for this log for J uh, exploit. Uh, uh, let's hope it doesn't go too much further. And, you know, same goes for the COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the, the, the silver lining in both of them, I think, to your point about COVID is they got a vaccine. To me, it, it had to be a huge undertaking. Most uh, vaccines take years of development, research, billions of dollars. And, and in the course of a little more than a year, suddenly multiple companies came up with vaccines. Now, obviously there's, there's a, a lot of momentum and there's, there's a lot of money to be made there. And of, of course, that's a lot of the focus, but hopefully for, for the good of mankind, these vaccines are starting to make a difference. Although sometimes you wonder when we started hearing about the Delta variant and now this new variant and how it's spreading so rapidly, it's, it's very concerning. Um, but the good news is there's something there to, to combat it. And same thing here. After about a week or so, they came up with a patch for, for this. And I think that's what the really important thing is. So Log4j, there is a, a patch that you can upgrade and take care of that vulnerability. And I think it's important for, for companies, uh, talk to your IT staff and make sure that they're actually doing that and patching to prevent the unknown, what will might, might, might be happening down the road. Okay. Good to know. And uh, before we move on to the next story, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, this episode is brought to you by Cyberlytica, proactive cybercrime intelligence. Visit cyberlytica.com for all the details. Um, this next story I thought was interesting because it's more, it's a little more consumer facing. It's, it's definitely people who are engaged with social media and consumer tech products are gonna, you know, gonna take a listen to this because it was a, a survey. And I found this story in the Washington Post, about a little over a 1000 people were surveyed on. Um, let me see what exactly what the question was. Internet users widely distrust Facebook, TikTok and Instagram to handle personal data, other tech companies receive mixed marks. So it's really it's a trust issue about privacy. And people could answer, they trust a great deal, they trust not much at all, or they have no opinion. And it it varies kind of widely. And there's a couple um, expected uh, culprits in here, but there's also a few surprises. Um, did you get a chance to, to look at this survey? What do you, I mean, you're not, you're not a big social media guy. I mean, you are for work, but you're not per, in personal life. You're not too big on social media. What, who do you you know, distrust and trust the most? Like, how, how would you rank it? Yeah, I, I think I am a little bit more paranoid than some people. And you're right. I focus more on the business side of social media. So my, my natural gravity is always toward LinkedIn, which I think is a great business platform. Um, that being said, uh, I'm trying to grow Instagram followers and, 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 and interact with some of the people and I get questions and not as much, but maybe once a week or so. And a lot of it's, it's my, my audience, my customer base, be it for our wireless security tools or even just cybersecurity education. So people do throw things through social media. Um, Twitter is my second favorite, maybe, maybe uh, Instagram third and Facebook is probably down there at the bottom. I'm just not a huge Facebook fan. Um, mm -hmm. which is ironic because if you look at Instagram platform, it's owned by Facebook, right? If you look at WhatsApp, who owns it? Facebook. Mm -hmm. So, um, in, you know, Facebook has a huge hand in all of social media, but as far as distrust, 
Um, I don't really trust any of them a hundred percent. And I, and I've always learned and cautioned people don't put too much information out there or too much personal information out there. Use it to share a photo, use it to, to, you know, share things and connect with people, but to a point, and I, I don't think oversharing is a really a good thing to do. Uh, but from a, a, a trust standpoint, I think they all have a lot of work to do because they're all selling our data. And that's the part I think that fundamentally bothers me. I'll get occasionally these little pop-ups and, and you know, do you want to share this or not, especially with some of the stuff in the world of Apple now. I think we talked about this on our last, last episode, which, which is good. Give the users the option to select what you want to share or not share. And I take a lot of time not to to set up my profiles with just too much personal information. I encourage people to do that. So many profiles, especially on Facebook, I see everything, the date they were born. I know the town they live in, what high school they went to. I see all their friends and their relatives. I can quickly um, put together enough information that if I wanted to socially engineer something out of them from them, their home, their job, and and try to hack into something, it's not that hard because they're giving away the store. So um, th- there's a lot of trust issues, I think, with all these companies. I do not use TikTok. I think that was one mentioned there. Um, and again, I find that to be more of a more for maybe entertainment and and more on the uh, extreme as far as social media type of things where it's more fun, dancing, singing, pictures, and stuff like that. But I, I'm sure it has its place in business world too, mm-hmm. especially consumer related stuff. Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting. I'll, I'll quick, I don't want to bore everyone with the numbers and stuff, but it's interesting, the ranking. Now this is, uh, I'll read down the list. Trust, these are the ones that they trust the least going down to what they trust the most in, in general. Um, so Facebook's on the top of the list. So they trust in these thousand people surveyed, trust Facebook trust the least. least. But right under that is TikTok, which is interesting because huh. you said you said it's an entertainment thing. And I, I agree with that. It's the platform is mostly, it seems like it's kids. It seems like it's people having fun. There's not too much, you know, radicalized messages of hate or things going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then under that, you see Instagram, again, owned by Facebook. Facebook. So there's a co- correlation. And then WhatsApp directly under Instagram, also owned by yep, Facebook. Exactly. Um, and then under that, you have YouTube, Google, Microsoft, Apple, and then Amazon at the bottom of the list, kind of tied with Apple as far as the, the trusting the least. But then they have this, there's a slider that all uh, uh, the way the graph is presented and it shows uh, they trust a great deal or a good amount. And for Amazon, they had 53%, um, but Apple only had 44%. Now they, mm-hmm. they, their trust issue is lower on Apple, which I find strange because Apple uh, has pushed out a, a privacy and a trust message, you know, and a lot of people are aware that Apple makes their money selling hardware, not data. Uh, they're not big in the, in the ad world as far as ads. They do have some ads on their um, App Store platform, and I think they run ads on their music uh, platform, their streaming music. But you know, Amazon, when you think of Amazon, it's consumer goods, it's selling mm-hmm. stuff. It's all about advertising. You, you, you can't go anywhere without, on the internet at least, without finding an ad from Amazon. So it's, it's odd that people seem to place more trust in Amazon than Apple. But then I started thinking about it and I realized that maybe this, it's not a true, a true representation of people's trust, but rather their, um, their idea of 
what's 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 the headline what the headlines are saying i mean mm-hmm. think about think about it look at it this way facebook's on the top of the list distrust this trusted the least in just about every metric according to this survey um you know they're in the news constantly distrusted you you had Cam- cambridge analytica you have all mm-hmm. these types of little and big scandals so that's a headline thing now of course now you move down one and say tiktok where what are they well the thing most people know about TikTok is either it's a fun way for for kids and adults to communicate, or it's something that the uh, previous administration, the Trump administration, tied tied to China, and they said mm-hmm. we're going to shut that down. We're going to make a U.S. company purchase them. We're going to, you know, there was a lot of headlines, yeah. and so. Yeah. What I'm thinking is maybe people are thinking the headlines, wow, this is scary. TikTok is China owned and China's bad and we can't risk China getting our data, even though it's just a bunch of kids lip syncing and, you know, having fun. Um, and then and then you jump to the bottom of the graph. Uh, you have Apple kind of versus an Amazon thing, because, again, this isn't just sure. a social media trust uh, graph. It's about, you know, it's about manufacturers and resellers and things like that. And Amazon comes out ahead of Apple, but maybe that's because Amazon doesn't have, they don't really, they get the, they get some headlines for antitrust kind of monopolistic issues, but they don't get trust privacy issues too much. I haven't heard, you know, get, you got a lot of people with, uh, Alexa's smart speakers in their homes. Obviously those people trust Amazon enough to do that. Um, and then, and, and at the same time, Amazon doesn't have a phone to speak of, you know, their, yeah. their, their phone was a kind of a, a big failure, one of their few failures actually. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have this personal device with all your data in your pocket all the time. We're following you wherever you go the same way Apple does. Yeah. So uh, that's my, you know, my two cents, my theory. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you have any, any pet theories about this, this kind of, yeah, I, I think there is some truth to that. And, and I think back and even when we were doing, uh, I think it was the book number two, cybersecurity is everybody's business. A lot of things we talked about with Apple hardware and privacy about the San Bernardino phone mm-hmm. and unlocking the phone and all of the drama back and forth. I think a lot of those things, cause I hear about it every once in a while are in people's heads and they say, well, Apple's privacy stands is they make a really strong hardware platform. They lock it out. They don't share it with, with law enforcement. So they kind of protect people's privacy, but they don't cooperate with law enforcement is kind of a general statement that I've heard a few times, which there's probably some truths to it. And there's some distruths because Apple is continually unlocking phones, cooperating with FBI and law enforcement, as well as all the phone manufacturers. They're not alone. They all do cooperate to the best of their ability, but there are certain things that have technical constraints and limits on it and and levels of encryption that prevent them from going beyond that. Some of it intended to be designed in and some of it just the nature of it and the way things work. Um, Whereas Amazon, one thing that stands out maybe to add to your point, they don't have a phone. Alexa is big and a lot of people use it. And I don't think there's been a huge story that you could tie in with uh, Alexa that there was anything, be it uh, privacy and things compromised. At least I don't remember any giant headlines. There was all speculation and rumor about it, just Mm -hmm. like there was with Siri when it first came out. But I heard a lot more about Siri listening to you. And, And that's a device that you hold to yourself personally, where 
as an Alexa or digital assistant, any of them, it's, it's always in a sense, listening to certain keywords, waiting for you to hear. And then I contrast that with what, what does Amazon have in their favor? What have we now all kind of accepted in this world? They have the ability to deliver anything affordably and fast to the point where how many prime accounts are there? Not just millions. I think it's surpassed a billion or something ludicrous amount. Mm -hmm. So that means that the majority of people in that survey probably have a prime account. They use it on a regular, maybe weekly or monthly basis where the buy, you know, they trust Amazon with their credit card and their money on a regular basis for purchases. When do you go back to the Apple store to get a new iPhone or a new computer? Once every two years, three years. So, you know, the representation in a survey of a thousand people that are diehard Apple fans and user base, maybe it's not as much as those that are diehard Amazon people that place their trust there. So yeah, numbers can be deceiving sometimes, but I, I like your point about the headlines. The headlines, what we hear all the time, are what stick with us. When I think of TikTok, that's exactly what I think about is I think about from a security perspective, where did all the data reside? It was all on China servers. Donald Trump's uh, administration made a big stink about getting, you know, closing them down, having an American company come in and own a percentage of it. It was a big to do for a while in all the headlines. And that's what stands out in my mind as far as privacy. Um yeah, interesting, interesting topic, though, there. And I see why there is distrust in so many different camps associated with so many different companies. It'd be interesting to do another. Uh, we should do our own survey one day just to see um, what results we get in contrast to this. I'd be very curious. Yeah, definitely. And that was, uh, you know, you're spot on, I think, with your kind of evaluation on Amazon, it's almost like they're playing a different game. You know, they have, mm. yeah, they have hundreds of millions of prime account users. So they have your credit card and they have your home address, but beyond that, they don't have a whole lot of personal info because they don't run a social media network and, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, you know, they're the guys that get your, you know, Christmas presents to you on time mm -hmm. there. It's like, they're the good guys. And if, if, and if something doesn't get to your doorstep, well, you might blame UPS or FedEx or something, True. but you're probably not going to blame Amazon. So they kind of come out rosier in a lot of these surveys, I suspect. So yeah, it would be, it'd be real neat to uh, follow up and, and do our own survey and, and keep an eye on these things. Cause I, I'm mm -hmm. sure the numbers are going to shift over the years. Oh, I'm sure. And you make a good point too, from, from a standpoint, I was even thinking about this. I just did Earlier this week, one of the episodes called Cyber Safety, um, I do a weekly episode. It's going to be coming up probably in the new year with a Cybercrime magazine. And this is on their actual radio station with Zach Hack. And he interviewed me and we talked about porch pirates and mm -hmm. all the stolen packages. And it was a really interesting discussion that we have. But at the end of it, when packages are stolen from your doorstep, who do you blame? You, you really blame the thief, the guy that stole it. Who are you going to report? You're going to tell, you know, report it to the local police or you just write it up as a loss. You don't sit there and think, well, Amazon, it's your fault. They really did their job and they fulfilled it. Um, to some degree, they may take a picture. Maybe they, they, you didn't sign for it or have that option set up there or you just live in a dangerous neighborhood. But it's hard to blame the guy that fulfills, that, that sells you the goods, Amazon. And I think they come out smelling okay in most of those cases, even though millions of packages are stolen by porch pirates each and every day. It's a concern. I'm glad to see that the latest episode, I can't remember his name now, but um, he puts out the porch pirate series. 
and uh, yeah, where it shoots yeah. the glitter and the spray mm-hmm. and all these other. He's a cool he's things. a former NASA engineer, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. It's That's just crazy. great stuff. It's just yeah. fun to watch. It's on YouTube. If you type in Porch Pirates, I think it's one of the first thing that comes up. And my, my kids and I get a kick out of it. We're all watching the latest episode he put out and looking forward to the next generation thing mm-hmm. that he does there. And I, I even talked to my son. I said, maybe we should build one of these things just for fun and put some cameras in it, film and, and you know, explode something, group litter or who knows what. <laughs> Sounds like a great project. Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> educational. All right. Um, before we get to our final story, just want to remind listeners one more time uh, that this episode is brought to you by Cyberlytica, proactive cybercrime intelligence. Uh, you can learn more about Cyberlytica on their website, cyberlytica.com, and all the you know dark web audits and scans they do. Uh, learn all about it on cyberlytica.com. Okay, uh, final story um, it comes from Gizmodo. And it's about walkthrough metal detectors and and how they can be hacked. Um, this this one, well, it's kind of in our wheelhouse a little bit because yeah. you know Berkeley, our company, we make a, um, a a sort of metal detector. It's actually a ferrous metal mm-hmm. detector, which is you might maybe you can explain the difference a little bit without getting too too sciencey, right. too geeky to our. But wh- why is this why is this a a problem exactly? How how can this how can this play out? Yeah, well, I think in general, metal detectors are so widespread and Garrett, they make some great stuff. I have to say, we even resold some of their, their handheld Garrett uh, wands for metal detecting to different prisons. And we'd bundled that with some of our, our, our security offerings. And, and I think even the models mentioned here are some really solid walkthrough metal detectors. The problem is not just with Garrett, this is with all manufacturers, everybody's desire to connect to a PC and software and the internet and remote connections and security alerts, so on and so forth, naturally opens you up to vulnerabilities. It's kind of like the world of, of IoT, internet of things. Anytime we plug into the internet, we have to realize and almost expect there could potentially be a vulnerability that could be exploited. And that's really exactly what what happened here. Many metal detector models are not connected into an internet and they don't record data and log. They're just kind of a, a green light, red light, walk through, red light, stop, pat the person down. Those are the common ones before we get on an airplane and things like that. But more and more, they're getting more sophisticated where they're going to be tied in or correlated to imaging systems and specific locations on the body where that metal object was actually detected. Uh, with, with what we do is a little different. We're making um, ferrous detection units. So we're measuring actually in non-geek terms, if you imagine walking through a portal and you had on you a mobile phone that has high-powered neo magnets in it, microphone, speaker, and vibrator, that disrupts the Earth's natural magnetic waves. And what we're doing is picking up on that disruption. And we can alert on the body where that mobile phone is, or we have a new product that we're launching early next year called the Safe Hound to combat weapons such as guns and knives being brought into schools, an affordable uh, portal that you know kids, teachers, visitors could walk through just to make sure nobody's got a gun in the backpack and they're the, you know, then suddenly you hear about the next school shooting. Uh, again, these are all ferrous detection units. So that means if you're just walking through a metal detector and you have uh, keys in your pocket or a wallet or jewelry on, that's something that's non-ferrous, aluminum, brass, bronze, um, copper, that's not going to set it off. Whereas a lot of metal detectors, any metal will set them off. 
the more expensive ones have that discrimination, the ability to shut different pieces on and off. But I think this story is kind of interesting because we don't think about physical hardware things being tied to vulnerabilities, but more and more as security and monitoring is taking place, there's, there's, there's clearly a shortage of manpower. In other words, you can't get enough security personnel to sit there. You may have one security personnel, and then there's a, a number of machines and they're kind of you know, doing multitasking. Okay, you walk through this lane, stop here, go there. Um, it's hard to do that. So they're mm-hmm. trying to automate it with, with logs, with cameras, connecting to the internet to, to auto-generate alerts and reports. And, and again, that just opens the door for more and more vulnerabilities and things for hackers to exploit. And in this case, I think they, they identified nine software vulnerabilities con- and commonly used metal detectors, such as the Garrett stand-up ones. Mm. Yeah, it's like that, um, our kind of app-centric economy. You know, we're mm-hmm. so tied into software and, and then that brings about data collection so that, you know, AI and experts can analyze it and improve. And it's just that double-edged sword of technology yeah. keeps coming back to bite us. I don't know. I don't know if we can ever get away from it, but surely we can, you know, hold some of these uh, companies' feet to the fire and let make sure that they patch these software exploits so that, uh, you know, people aren't getting through with guns and, and you know, we're just keeping our, our airports and other facilities secure. Yeah, I think it's important. And, and the part that's interesting is it's not always just real time. Sometimes somebody could hack in again remotely and they could manipulate the data. So imagine somebody, you know, people are walking through a metal, metal detector and alert goes off um, or imagine an alert doesn't go off and they walk through, but yet they have the, the association to maybe a camera or something like that. And they're looking for a terrorist, let's say. Well, mm-hmm. maybe somebody got on there and realized that John Smith, the terrorist, is going to be coming through at two o'clock through Newark Airport, and they remotely hack in and they shut off the module that has a, an alert threshold set to something. Maybe they lower the sensitivity or they have it do a silent alarm. So security personnel don't even know it. And now the person walks right on the plane. It's those type of extreme one in a million type of scenarios where it's it's hacked and manipulated to do really bad stuff. Those are the things that I worry about more so than tracking the number of people that went through or some other, you know, useless statistics that a lot of these things generate. Yeah. That's a scary prospect. Um, yeah, scary stuff. And especially when you think of traveling, we got, we need security and we need a sense of security, especially when we're boarding something as an airplane or things like that. That's right. Big targets. Yes. Um, all right. Before we go, um, uh, we're coming up to the end of the year, um, and I think we might, maybe we should do, I was thinking actually, maybe we should do an end of the year, um, kind of a sum up next for next week's show, because that's the final yeah. show of the year. And, you know, we'll pick the biggest security stories, privacy stories, whatever stories of that made 2020. 21 kind of, mm-hmm. you know, what it is. Um, but before we go, is there anything you're going to be, uh, up to any events, any, um, books you're going to be, you know, checking out any, any podcast, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I've got, I've got lots of things coming up for the new year, speaking events and other things like that. But w- one book I'm kind of looking forward to, um, that I, in fact, I just got a copy of it. It's called cyber may day and the day after 
a leader's guide to preparing, managing, and recovering from inevitable business disruptions. And uh, one of the authors I know and met personally, great guy, uh, Dan Lorman. Um, he, he does a lot of stuff working for um, in the IT space there, in the cybersecurity space. And I like this because he's, he's really talking to the audience of uh, government CISOs, um, executives, it could be agents, lots of different insight is, is shared throughout the book. And I think it's going to help leaders and influencers that are maybe a little bit more senior in management to get little gems out there talking about cybersecurity. So I look forward to, to reading that over the break, get kind of delving into it. I haven't, I haven't, I just got the book, so I really can't give you a fair shakedown of, of it, but he, he's a great writer. He writes for government technology magazine and I've seen him at many events and, and I've spoken with him virtually and in person at a couple of different events over the years and uh, looking forward to that. The other author um, is uh, Shemaine Tan. I don't know his co-author. So I'm looking forward to the mix there of what Cyber May Day is. So take a look for that on uh, Amazon. And uh, hopefully once I have a little bit of uh, feedback from that read, I'll get back to you. The other thing I wanted to share is kind of in our year of review, uh, I think a nice episode also would be looking back at some of the things that we've done over time as far as a company um, next year is actually going to be our 50th anniversary as a company, Berkeley Viratronics. So we're still a small design company, family owned, privately held, yet we continue to go on through pandemics, through Y2K years ago, through hurricanes, mm -hmm. through power outages, you, you name it. We, we've seen it, I think, over the years. And we've learned a lot of things, how to survive as a small business in a quickly changing technology world. So I'd love to share some of the, the insights and things that at least I personally observed. I'm sure you could share from your perspective. That may be a show in itself, but that's what, that's what to look forward to. Um, so big plans for, for next year as we celebrate our 50th uh, anniversary in, yeah. uh, in, as far as a company and looking back at the history and all of our successes and to maybe some of the funny stories of our just Failures. I always learn from failures. So I want to look back at some of the funny names and all the different stories. And I have some ideas for that. So our listeners can look forward to maybe hopefully uh, an episode filled with a little bit of laughter and, and reminiscing as we uh, celebrate our, our 50 years in business and welcome people to uh, certainly feel free to comment and share, share your expressions, especially if, if you've uh, crossed our paths over the past 50 years. And I do get that a lot in the world of cybersecurity. I recently had a customer um, that was in the military probably over a decade ago. And they said, oh my gosh, Scott, I just realized what you do and Berkeley Veritronics. I've used your tools for years, loved them. And now here we are again, and crisscrossing the paths where, you know, it was wireless in the past, now cybersecurity paths crossing. So it's kind of exciting mm -hmm. to keep in touch with so many people over the years there. Yeah, we've got uh, so many uh, kind of legacy customers, old older customers and companies we've been working with. We have enough stories. Like I'm smelling a spinoff coming, a spinoff exactly. podcast, you know, how to, <laughs> how to keep your business safe, not, not even cyber safe. Cause that's, you know, that's the content of this podcast, but we could, there's so many um, business and marketing and product stories that that's a whole other show. So let's exactly. more <laughs> let's, to come. Stay, stay tuned. Yeah. 2022 coming soon. He's signing off from the West coast here in Long Beach, California. It's Craig and yeah. And signing off here from the East coast. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in and taking a listen and we'll catch up with you real soon. And please spread the word about cyber coast to coast uh, as a podcast. Thanks again. <laughs>